now a shorthanded chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, shorthanded goal! From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Puck comes out high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... Darren Millard on vacation, started a bit early for Millard, but he is going to be back with us uh, at another date, probably as we ramp up toward next season, but fear not, the VGK Insider Show will be on the air for the next couple of weeks, getting you through not just the end of the Stanley Cup final, but also through the NHL entry draft as well as free agency and there's a lot of important dates on the horizon for the Vegas Golden Knights as we've talked about over the last couple of days especially in the wake of the Golden Knights freeing up some cap space in trading Evgeny Dodonov for the contract more or less of former Canadians uh, Captain Shea Weber There are priorities. There are things the Golden Knights are going to want to look to do over the course of this offseason. I do not think by any stretch of the imagination that the Dodonov trade means they're done. They've got restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, and frankly, there's a lot more that can be done, should be done, probably needs to be done for the Golden Knights as they head toward next season, a season in which they've got a lot to prove, not just to themselves, but to the hockey world, and now they've got a new bench boss to get them there. It's Bruce Cassidy, as as you likely would have seen last week as we've kind of gone through the process now of, of having this news, this information for the better part of five, six days, it's it's sinking in a little bit more that not only are the Golden Knights going to look differently on the ice next season, but they're going to look differently behind the bench as well. Bruce Cassidy, the third coach in Vegas Golden Knights history. And like his new team, Bruce Cassidy has a lot to prove not just to himself, but to the hockey world. He talked about it briefly in his introductory press conference that, you know what, you're motivated when you're let go. And he said that specifically, I was let go. There's inherent motivation in there. And you're talking about performers here. You're talking about guys that are at the pinnacle, at the 1% of the 1% within their respective fields. So anytime they can draw any external motivation going into a prove-me type of year, you want to harness that as much as possible, which is why it's so important that the Golden Knights hit on their offseason this offseason, and that's going to be Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee trying to pull the right strings, trying to massage the salary cap as much as possible, and trying to put the best iteration of a roster 
on the ice come next season. We're going to dive really deeply into priorities for the Golden Knights coming into the offseason with Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun. That'll be at 5 o'clock today. Uh, we're going to jump into some intriguing ideas, intriguing concepts, not just in one-timers, but I want to spend a little bit more time on the idea that the Chicago Blackhawks are open to trading Alex Dabrinkit because, frankly, to me, that makes about no sense. It, it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm going to kind of outline why I feel that way, and we'll get Chris Chapman's opinion on that as well. But before we get to any of that, and one-timers will come up in hour number two, We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to the Stanley Cup Final. Game 3, that goes tonight at 5 o'clock in just about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. The puck will drop on game number 3. The Colorado Avalanche absolutely blew the doors off of the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. 7 to nothing in game number 2. Andre Vasilevsky uh, was not particularly good. It was the first time that we see different goaltending uh, for for the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, frankly, it, it was just one of those situations where nothing went right for Tampa, nothing at all, and the Colorado Avalanche exerted some dominance over a team that has exuded confidence for three years now in the postseason. It is not a mistake. It is not by surprise that Colorado has taken the advantage in these first two games of the Stanley Cup Final. They have been the better team. So let's check in with with Chris Chapman, get his opinion, not on anything else but game number two. Chapman, what did you see? What impressed you most about Colorado in game two? I, I think everything really. Um, you know, they they, they <laughs> blew the doors off the off off the lightning yeah. and I don't I don't think anybody Saw that coming. Like, I think we expected a similar game to game one, uh, and we didn't get that. But I'll tell you what impressed me. It's the fact that it does not appear that Tampa has any answer for Nathan McKinnon or Kale McCarr because those two guys, they seem to be able to just do whatever they want. And and they've done pretty much whatever they've wanted in the series. What, what What's crazy to me is Colorado's doing this without Nazem Kadri as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and, and Sammy Girard. So yep. how scary good could they actually be if they had a full complement of players? Uh, look, I, I'm not going to say that the series is over. I'm not going to put the nail in the coffin or, or however you want to, whatever cliche you want to use. Uh, game three is obviously a massive game for Tampa, but for game two, I mean, Colorado just, I don't think it's possible for any team to have played a more perfect game than the Colorado Avalanche did. That game was over. There was a point where I think they had four goals and Tampa had three shots in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. And and yep. I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody expects to see the two-time defending cup champ lose a game that way in the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. final as they're trying to make make history and go for a three-peat. Um, so I, I just think Colorado, from top to bottom, they looked like the much better team in games one and two. Um, I know game one did go to overtime, but I thought they were the better team in that game as well. But, but I mean, Ryan, how how good is Colorado? I mean, the the, the fact that the fact that they they already had a, a a core group that were up and coming, and and I mean, they're they're McKinnon and and Landeskog and Ranton, and and then they 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 went through some growing pains with those guys, and they were able to go out and get a guy like Kale McCarr just a, just a, a, a few years ago and it's it's scary to think how good this team actually is because 
I think we've seen them play good games in in the playoffs. I don't know if I've seen them play a better game than they did on Saturday night. So what's interesting about it is like Colorado played a perfect first period and and in much the same way they did so in game 1 like Colorado was clearly the better team after the first 20 minutes in game number 2 but there was a letdown in the Avalanche game 1 second period they opened the door and the Tampa Bay Lightning took full advantage in tying that game Colorado eventually got back to the way that they needed to play in period number three, and you kind of felt like it was setting up to do the exact same thing. They they blitz the lightning in period number one. It's a 3 nothing lead going into the second period. You were waiting, right? I think everybody was waiting, watching that game, for the Colorado Avalanche to fall off a little bit, for Tampa to get a couple of openings, for them to score a couple of quick goals, and all of a sudden, they're right back in the game, and it just never went that way because of the pressure of the Colorado Avalanche. They were accelerating throughout the entire game. They did not take their foot off the gas, not for a second. There was no retreat. You want to talk about playing with pace. You want to talk about being absolutely dogged on the puck and the puck retrieval, the board battles, all of the things that you need to be successful. Colorado did it Every single shift, there was no letdown from that team over the course of 60 minutes. That's as close to a perfectly played 60-minute game as you can possibly get, and it's coming at the right time for the Avalanche. Yeah, I, it, it's crazy because we, we, we were sat there and wondered, could they play any better than they did against the Edmonton Oilers? And I think, mm, I think yeah. they went out and they proved to us that, yeah, this team did have another gear. Uh, a lot of times in, in, in this sport and other sports, it's the team that's playing the best hockey at the end of the year that wins the championship, but but there's been no fault. There's been no no cracks in the Colorado Avalanche. They lost two games to the St. Louis Blues, and that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. Yeah. That's the, those are the only two games now they're in their fourth series that they've lost in the entire state. Two sweeps, and right now they're up two games to nothing on the on the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're two wins away. I I I, I mean I I don't think they're going to sweep Tampa. I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not proclaiming the series to even be over. But what they've yeah. been able to do this postseason, I think they've proved a lot of the doubters wrong, myself included. Mm-hmm. And they've proven that they are an elite hockey club. Whether they win or lose this series, they have shown that they are a, a serious threat to to win multiple cups over the next couple of years. And I, I, I think it's funny, right? We talked about Tampa maybe doing a three-peat. I think Colorado's in a position where they could be looking at multi. If they're able to win this series, <laughs> I don't want to put the cart before the horse. You, but yeah, but you are. Though. I am. I'm going to. But who's going to challenge them? Like that's the thing. They they're so good in so many different areas, and they're so young, and they're good. So, so here's here's the thing that I find interesting, right? Like, do you do you feel like Colorado is just better? Than Tampa, like do you do you believe that Colorado is just that much better of a team right now than the Tampa Bay Lightning, or do you subscribe to the idea that you know Tampa has completely run out of gas? Like you're talking about a team that had to scratch and claw to get themselves back. I, I know that they had a round two sweep of the Florida Panthers, but that 
New York Rangers series, that was a harder series than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for. The series round one against Toronto, that was a harder series than a lot of people are giving it credit for. And when you compound the amount of hockey that the Tampa Bay Lightning have played over the last three seasons, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to look very far to, to the Vegas Golden Knights and how much all of that hockey impacted them. The same thing with the New York Islanders, how much all of that hockey impacted them. Is it that Colorado's getting an elite team in Tampa at the right time where they're just a little bit too banged up and not enough is in the tank for them to really put up much of a fight here? I think I think there is something to that. I, 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 had, I made the comments going into the Florida series that I thought that... Mm-hmm. That the, the the series with the with the Maple Leafs was going to take a lot out of them, and I was yeah. wrong. But that doesn't mean that two series later that I I can't be right. That the 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 just the toll that this team has taken playing so much hockey over the last three seasons, yeah, I I think at some point it does catch up to you. And that series with the Rangers, I think it was a lot more physical. Than I think a lot of us maybe maybe thought or or gave credit to, because the Rangers beat the crap out of you. Like Jacob <laughs> Truba is is he's a steamroller out there, and he just goes hold on, out hold on, there. Hold on, on Truba is he is he dirty? Do you I think he's a dirty player? I I think he plays on the line. I don't think he crosses yeah. it. I I I like his game. I I I I like he's got a little snarl to him, and he he's a big nasty guy, and and I think. He he plays. I think he plays the right way. I think he comes close. And there are some hits that that people certainly would would take question to. And you know, I can't remember who it was that he attempted to hit with the elbow in that series. But that would have crossed the line. But he didn't. Sure. He didn't. He didn't connect. So I I I <laughs> I don't think he's a dirty player. But I think he plays on the line, and and I'm okay with that. I think Ryan Reeves plays on that same line. I don't think Ryan Reeves is a dirty player. There's other people around the league who would say so. But oh, I, there's a lot of people that would disagree with you. There. You you and I got to watch the guy for three years and up close and personal. And there's a lot of times where you're like, eh, I don't know about that hit. And then you see the replay. You're like, you know what? I was wrong. It was a, it was a good, clean hit. So I think so, that's the same case with Truba. So real quick, because like for whatever reason, I, I feel like in my mind's uh, eye, Andre Vasilevsky was pulled in that game, but he was not. Andre Vasilevsky was in and allowed all seven goals in game two. He was not pulled. Brian Elliott did not mop up in a game that the Tampa Bay Lightning were not coming back in. Um, Maybe it's just because I believe in mercy. Maybe it's just because I, I don't think there's any reason whatsoever why Andre Vasilevsky would be back in net for the third period. Maybe I just wanted to block out the idea that John Cooper and Andre Vasilevsky would come to the to the same conclusion that he should play the third period. I don't know why I felt like Brian Elliott was in this game, but he wasn't. Do you agree with the idea, with the thought process that had to have gone into allowing Andre Vasilevsky to continue to play when, again, we're talking about compounding every single minute of every single postseason game that the Tampa Bay Lightning have played over the last three years. Andre Vasilevsky's been the guy in net. Does he not, or would he not have benefited from at least 20 minutes off to cool his jets and regroup for game number three? I think he should have been pulled, and there's some things that I've seen and read, and it sounded like he he didn't want to come out of the game. I think... To me, I don't think any goalie wants to. That's John Cooper's call. Like, like that's not Vasilevsky's call. 
No, it shouldn't be. Yeah. And like, I don't care if Andre Vasilevsky wants to go back in the game. You're not going in. Yeah, you put like, Brian Elliott. I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you on that. And I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I know more than John Cooper. Clearly, I'm not an NHL coach. But if I'm John Cooper in that situation, I don't care what Andre Vasilevsky wants to do in Game 3. Yeah. Or, game in two. the third period. Yeah. They were terrible. Yeah. Tampa was terrible. They were down 5 nothing. There was no chance they were coming back. I don't understand why you put Andre Vasilevsky back into that situation. You take that decision out of his hands. You do not allow him to even come out to the ice in the in the third period. You just you just don't. Yeah, the team was really bad in front of him. He certainly wasn't great. Uh, that's that's a that's a coach's decision where he's got to put his foot down and say, "Look, you know, Vasi, I I understand that you are." One of the greatest goalies of all time. You, you, you're probably the greatest goalie of, of this generation, but you're coming out. And again, I'm I'm with you. I don't. I certainly don't know more than John Cooper. He's forgotten more about the game than I'll ever mm-hmm. know. But yeah. I, I I think we, we're in a position where we can question that decision for a variety of reasons. Mentally, maybe he needed a mm-hmm. break. Physically, I'm sure he needed a break. They, yeah. Like you said, they weren't going to come back and win that game. The team in front of him was awful. I mean, that's as bad of a game as I've seen Tampa play in a long, long time. Uh, and, yeah. and and the fact that Colorado, they 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 were ruthless. Like, mm-hmm. they they weren't satisfied with the game being 5 nothing. They wanted more goals, and they got more goals in that third period. So I, I, I think there, there's really no way to spin it. In a positive direction, I I, I I I did see one of your tweets, and it made me chuckle because we we know someone would have spun it in a positive direction. But yeah, I don't yeah. know how you spin that in a positive direction. A sending Vasilevsky out for the third period, and mm-hmm. B just getting absolutely lambasted. I mean, this was like this this was like sending a, a club fighter into the ring against Mike Tyson in his prime. I mean, that's. That's pretty much what this was. It was I'm, I'm looking at the poster on the wall of Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. First round, first minute knockout. That's what this was. It was the first round, first minute knockout. Muhammad but Ali. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Tampa, they had to go the re- the remainder of the 59 minutes. Yes, like they had yeah, to yeah. continue to play in a game they had no chance in. Like, it's like if Sonny Liston had to, had to get up and finish those 15 rounds and keep getting knocked to the ground. I mean that's what mm-hmm. this was. Yeah. It it was a beatdown of epic proportions. I'll be I'm I'm so curious to see how Tampa responds. I mean cuz yeah. they they they're obviously going to come out and they're going to probably play as best as they can. I just don't know if it's going to be good enough. So this brings me to one of the concepts I wanted to talk about here when it comes to Tampa. And I've made mention that I believe this is the Stanley Cup they want the most, right? Like you're never going to give back a cup or you're never going to look at a season when you have an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup and say, well, I really want to win the 22-23 Stanley Cup or the 24-25 Stanley Cup. But given everything that's happened over the last two years with COVID, with the bubble, with a shortened season and strange, you know, um, kind of strange divisions and and the way that things have gone over the last two years and then of course when you tack in uh, the Dallas Stars in in the in the final of the first year and then the Montreal Canadiens in the final in the second year like I look at this Stanley Cup as the one that the Tampa Bay Lightning wanted above 
all else, mainly because you have a full 82-game season, you have normal alignment, you have a regular 16-team Stanley Cup playoffs, and everything, for all intents and purposes, is as normal as it's been over the course of the last two and a half years. Then on top of that, you have an elite opponent in the Colorado Avalanche in the final, arguably for the first time, right, in the three years you have been to the Stanley Cup final in a row. So I looked at this one as if there's one thing Tampa wants, it's this Stanley Cup. Because in a weird way, for some people in hockey, it validates not just them as a dynasty here and now, it validates this season, but it also validates last year, which people are trying to discredit them for, and the bubble, which people are trying to Go figure, discredit them for. They need to win a quote-unquote normal Stanley Cup for every other one that they have won to really mean something, right? I've argued that they want this one more internally than maybe the previous two. However, I saw a take over the course of the weekend that I thought was interesting. I don't know that I subscribe to this in any way, shape, or form because I don't view what Tampa did the last couple of years as easy. I won't classify it as easy. But if Tampa gets rolled, and I'm talking about they lose this game in four, or they they lose this series in four or five games, does that change your perception of the la- of, of who the Tampa Bay Lightning are as an organization this this three year span does it change your opinion on whether or not they're a dynasty does it change your opinion on their previous two Stanley Cups if they get absolutely shellacked does it change your thought process on the Tampa Bay Lightning well I mean let, let's be honest there there certainly are some people who place asterisks next to both of their cups right one one group of people will say hey. The bubble was goofy. It wasn't a real playoff setting. It wasn't a real cup run. You didn't have to win any games on the road. You know, you didn't have to go to another team's rink. The setup was kind of weird. Agree? No, no. Do you agree I, there should I, be an asterisk? I, 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 I do not subscribe to that. But I know there are people either. who are. And then there's people who are going to say last year, oh, well, the divisions were kind of goofy. There was the Canadian division, and a really bad team came out of that Canadian division. And you only played the 56-game season. You had the salary cap circumvention. I, I I understand it. I get it. I don't agree with it. But I understand that there there are people who will certainly take that, that road. And if they get absolutely shellacked in this series, then, then yeah, I think they will use that to discount what the Tampa Bay Lightning have, have done. I look at it this way. There was so much adversity that had to be overcome the last two years, by not just the Tampa Bay Lightning, but every team in the league, any team that would have won the Cup under those circumstances would have done so in extremely difficult circumstances. I'm on the opposite end of that because I don't think, I think what, what they've done the last two years is mm-hmm. probably more difficult than a lot of other teams have had to do to win the Stanley Cup. First of all, you're, you're talking about a bubble. The guys are away from their wives, their kids, their families. They were away for, what, two and a half months? Locked up in in quarantine in Toronto for, for almost all of it. And then they went to Edmonton. They couldn't leave. It was almost like being locked down again. 
So that, that to me, is not something that's easy. The mental aspect of having to overcome that, I think, in that situation, outweighed the physical aspect of it. And then last season was, was, was strange, right? Because they finished third in their division. They, they had an extremely difficult road to get to the final because, again, they went through Florida, and then they beat the Islanders in, in Game 7, who probably would have beaten... Montreal had they won that series against uh, um, um, Tampa. So I think what they've done is is very difficult. It's it's very unique, but I, I don't discount it at all because I think there's a lot of mental uh, hurdles that needed to be overcome in those situations, right? Because last year you had you had players missing a lot of games due to COVID. You had certain restrictions. Again, the mental side of this game I think is 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 forgotten a lot. Because I think we, we, we see these guys out on the ice, and a lot of times people think they're robots. You know, they go out, they hit, they score goals, they save goals. It's a robotic thing. But mm-hmm. the players are human. They're human beings, like you and I. And I think the mental side of the game sometimes gets overlooked. And I think what they've had to overcome the last two years is not something that, that a mentally weak franchise could have overcome. So the way I look at it is this. I don't think it really discredits anything that Tampa's done over the last two years. Everyone was playing in the same situation, including these Colorado Avalanche, right? Colorado went to the bubble. They weren't able to get themselves over the hump. Colorado played in a division last year that was only bolstered by the Vegas Golden Knights. And then what happened? They get to the playoffs, same playoffs that the Tampa Bay Lightning went through, and Colorado went out. They took a two games to none lead over Vegas, and then they absolutely fell apart. So if it were so easy, right, so easy to get to the Stanley Cup final, well, then why aren't the Colorado Avalanche there the last three years? They had plenty of opportunity. They were the, they were as good, if not better, than they are this year, and yet it becomes and still remains very difficult just to get there. So the fact that Tampa's even in the Stanley Cup final three years in a row, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. They don't want to hear it. Those players don't care about that. But the fact is that it is an accomplishment. Now, you go from there, and to me, if Tampa gets rolled, if Colorado sweeps them, or if they win in five, even if they win in six, like if if Tampa doesn't push this to game seven, like I'm just kind of expecting it at this point. But if that doesn't happen and Colorado is able to easily dispatch a team that has won 11 straight playoff series, that has found ways and dealt with adversity in so many different facets of the game, that speaks more to what the Colorado Avalanche have been able to do over the last 12 months than it does Tampa and anything you want to say discrediting their previous two Stanley Cups. It is more growth from the Colorado Avalanche in getting over the hump, learning how to win by being forced to lose over and over and over again. That is really what impresses me. It says more about Colorado finally getting to that level that they needed to be at than it does the Tampa Bay Lightning and illegitimizing what they've done over the last two years. Yeah, I think people will will always try to discount anything in in, in sports, right? Like, it's just, there's going to be haters no matter what. No matter how good you are, there's going to be haters. I think you're right. Colorado has, has just... 
it's all come together for them this year. Last year was obviously very, very disappointing the way that they lost. They win games one and two, and then they lose four straight to the Golden Knights. You could tell those guys, just based on the the the, the post-game press conference from Nathan McKinnon last year, that they were pissed off, that they were not satisfied with just winning the President's Trophy. They, they felt they were going to achieve more, and they failed. They came out this year, and they found the way to, to make it all click. I mean, there was never a, a moment over the course of the season where you did not look at this team as a legit threat to win the Stanley Cup final. I think you're right. It's all come together for them. They they have the players. They have the coaching staff. And I think there was a maturation of this team. Kale McCarr had another year under his belt. They 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 go they Devon Taves has gone out and and grown into a all star caliber player. Uh, this this team is loaded. They're loaded in, in a lot of places. And then you factor in the the whole thing with losing Nazem Kadri. I think mm-hmm. a moment like that galvanizes a team. It galvanizes a group of players because you can tell when he was subjected to the nonsense following the, the the situation with Jordan Bennington, that this team was pissed. They were going to go out and fight for him. And then to lose him just a couple games later, I, I, I think it was a galvanizing moment for that team. And, and I think it really brought them closer as a team. And they, they, they just look like they're unstoppable. I, I, I mean, the way that they were just able to steamroll Tampa, I, I just, I still can't, imagine and get it through my mind that Tampa lost a game seven to nothing in the Stanley Cup final. Like I, I just can't fathom that. But yet it's a reality. It it happened. And you you're you're stuck asking how. Well if you watch that game, you saw how. Colorado was just better in every aspect of the game. Yeah. Yeah, the Colorado Avalanche are the faster team. They are the more connected team right now. And I'm real curious to see how the Tampa Bay Lightning take advantage of home ice and if they're able to slow down Colorado even a little bit. Unfortunately for Tampa, Braden Point will be a game-time decision. I think we all can agree Braden Point's not 100%. Like, he's given it a go, and good for him to do that. But, you know, you've got a player that I think is is banged up and and is not going to be able to be as dynamic as you'd like him to. So if Braden Point can't go, I think you you look at the Colorado Avalanche and there's just, you know, the, the window, the door, it's wide open for them. They can't squander this opportunity because if you give Tampa even a little bit of light, because this is not a new situation for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not only were they down 2-0 in games to the New York Rangers, they were also down 2-0 in game number three before completing the comeback and getting their first win of the series, and they never looked back. So I'll be I'll be honest with you, like this is as important a game to Colorado tonight as it is to Tampa. You want to break their spirit, you want to break their will, you have to do that by putting them in a 3 nothing hole because you just cannot take anything for granted against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, the, the, the crazy thing, Ryan, is I would not be the least bit surprised if on Thursday when we turn on the microphones and do the show, if we're talking about the series being tied going back to Colorado. Like, the, it, it, it would absolutely not shock me. Because I, I just don't think Tampa's going to break that easily. And I, I, I kind of view, and I understand it, you, you can only take one game at a time, 
But I think for Tampa to have any chance in this series, they need to win these next mm-hmm. two games. There's no way they, they go back and win two games in Colorado if they're down three games to one in the series. So you, you think you think if, even if it's 3-1 after – so say say Tampa wins tonight and they lose game four. It's you over. think it's done? I, I, it's I, don't, I don't think Tampa really? – I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't see this Colorado team losing three in a row like that. I just, oh, man, I, I, I'm trying – Two of them, two of them at home. Yeah. I'm trying to determine if I want to bet this. Oh and boy! Well, let's maybe, let's, let's maybe, wait and see if it gets to no, three no, games to no, one. No. You you threw it out into the ether. Okay, that's fine. We will we will keep an eye on the Stanley Cup Final. Obviously, Game Three that'll go in about a half an hour. But if this series winds up three games to one, I'm trying to determine, and I'm going to think long and hard about this one, <laughs> if I'm going to bet Chris Chapman something because I will always take a bet. I feel like I can win. And for as many times as I've bet against the Tampa Bay Lightning, it is time for me, perhaps, to, to throw in. my hat in, <laughs> to cash in on them. Maybe, maybe that's the way that I go about it. So I'll be thinking about what the parameters of that might be and if we get to that point given the series. But we're going to take a break right now. And we're, when we come back, we're going to look at the Chicago Blackhawks fielding offers on Alex DeBrinket. If Chris Chapman were a GM, would you do this? We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. BGK Insider Show, Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, with you today, as we will be every other day the rest of this week, the next couple of weeks as we get through the remaining big dates on the calendar of the NHL season. We've got, of course, the Stanley Cup final, a champion still to be crowned in the NHL this season. And then we've got the NHL draft. That'll be in a couple of weeks, as well as Golden Knights development camp and the opening of free agency. And with all of those things swirling around in the background, there are reports that the Chicago Blackhawks are listening to... I don't want to say engaging in, but listening to trade offers for Alex DeBrinket. And so that that doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't. Kyle Davidson, a general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, of course you're going to be examining every single avenue you can to make your team, I don't want to say good, but I will say relevant. Right, And there were big swings taken last offseason by Chicago. Of course, Marc-Andre Fleury, that being one of them, trading for and then signing to a absolutely massive and at the same time short-sighted and ridiculous contract for Seth Jones, $9.5 million for the next eight years. Like That's going to hurt Chicago quite a bit. Then there was the good trading away Duncan Keith. That certainly helped because he just wasn't going to be a defenseman that you could rely on if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, everything being equal, I don't think any player ever should be off limits when it comes to trade talks. Whether or not anything's ever going to get serious, that comes later. But if if you're a general manager in this league, it is your duty. It is your duty, right, to answer the phone Pick it up, and whatever is going on on the other end, you're open to listening. 
Because who knows? One day, someone might call up. They might offer you a trade you simply cannot say no to. And if you were kind of rigid in that you're not going to listen on anything for this player or that player, maybe you don't have a franchise-altering trade that kind of falls in your lap. How many times that actually happens? Not many. But the fact is, you should at least be open-minded to listening. But here's the problem. Why in the world would the Chicago Blackhawks trade Alex Dabrinkit? This is a team that needs to rebuild. We all recognize that the Chicago Blackhawks are not going to be good next year. They're probably not going to be good for the next two years. Hell, they don't even have a goalie. They don't even have a goalie under contract for next season. Colin Delia, Kevin Lankinen, they are both unrestricted free agents. They do not have a goaltender, at least not a proven NHL goaltender. So we have a clear idea that Chicago's not going to be very good. And so my argument here is this. You have two pillars of what the Chicago Blackhawks used to be in Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. They both have one year left. They're both more or less 34 years old, and they both carry a cap hit of $10.5 million. Also, they've got no-move clauses. If I'm doing things in Chicago, if I'm Kyle Davidson in this situation, I am doing everything that I possibly can to get Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves to waive their no-trade clauses. And if I'm Kyle Davidson, I'm looking at Jonathan Taves and I'm saying Philadelphia, that's an interesting spot, but Boston is where it's at for you, right? If, if you're Jonathan Taves, the Boston Bruins would be a great landing spot given you have no idea if Patrice Bergeron's coming back, and that is a team that would love the leadership and the intangibles that come along with the allure of Jonathan Taves. There's probably a trade to be made there. There's probably a trade to be made there. If you're Patrick Kane, there's a lot of really obvious choices, the Buffalo Sabres being one of them, returning home to play, all of that. But look at a team that just got eliminated. The New York Rangers, what were they missing? Another dynamic goal scorer, another guy that can create time and space when it disappears in the playoffs. You don't think for a minute the New York Rangers might entertain an idea or a trade if they can get Patrick Kane? I feel like the Rangers are going to talk themselves into believing that they are right there, that they are a team that cannot just get back to the Eastern Conference Final again next season, but take the next step all the way to the Stanley Cup Final. And a proven winner in Patrick Kane could certainly go a long way doing that. So again, I ask a simple question. Outside of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves shutting it down, which to me makes no sense at all, considering that they have complained and complained and complained about losing, about not wanting to lose anymore, about wanting the rebuild to be over, which is why they went all in last offseason and it blew up in their faces. So again, if you're Chicago, you make it very palatable for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves to waive their no-move clause, and you trade those two out right now. Because it doesn't make any sense to me to trade Alex Dabrinkit, a 24-year-old goal scorer, 
who's put up 41 goals twice in his career. That's the player you build around if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. That's the player that you want moving this team forward. And I get it. You're going to talk about Debrinkit. He's only a product of Patrick Kane. Well, you know what? That's what a lot of people said about Artemi Panarin. And he turned out to be a pretty good player on his own right. So I don't subscribe to the idea of trading away a restricted free agent that you know you've got at least another six or seven productive years that you can build around. And hopefully when the next wave gets there and this team's good again, you've got your leader in Debrinket. You've got your guy that's been there that's bridged that gap between the glory years and what's to come for Chicago it makes zero sense to me to trade Alex Debrinkit from the Chicago Blackhawks team what say you Chapman well let, let's be honest right if 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 they're not answering the phone they're not doing their job you mentioned that you, you have to at least listen when the phone rings I mean Wayne Gretzky arguably the greatest player to ever play the game was traded so if he can be traded, any player in the league could be traded. But I couldn't imagine Wayne Gretzky being traded like in the buildup before the Edmonton Oilers won a cup. Could you imagine? Oh, yeah, we got this guy. He's a great player, but we're going to trade him anyway we, we, for, for, for whatever reason. What, what bothers me is the Blackhawks have a ton of cap space. It's not like they're in mm-hmm. cap hell. It's not like they're in a situation where they need to clear room on their on their roster to to be able to fit under the cap. That's not the situation here. So I don't understand why the 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 rumors would be out there that that they would entertain offers because you look at their roster outside of a handful of players, Kane Taze and and uh Tyler Johnson, they don't have one player over 30 years old that's under contract. So the rebuild is already in effect. Why would you trade the key piece to that rebuild? I, I, I can't understand why that would even be something that, that's being discussed. Because, as you mentioned, to bring it twice, he scored over 40 goals. Uh, he's, he's proven to be a very durable player. He's only missed a handful of games in, in his entire career in the league. But you've got this crop of young players, Lucas Reichel, mm-hmm. uh, Dominic Kubalik, Kirby Doc, these are all high draft picks. But none of them are proven. The only one who's proven himself over the course of two or three seasons is to bring it. So mm-hmm. while you 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 may like what you see in Dominic Kubalik, you may like what you see in Kirby Doc, you may like what you see in Lucas Reichel. They haven't proven they can do it over the course of multiple seasons. Reichel was the number one pick just, I think, last year, and he's already on the team. But but he, but Chapman, they're looking for a young player, high draft picks, and top prospects. But you already have like, that young player. I, I don't understand. I, I know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like What you need to do is create a, a, a nice, tidy break with the allure of what the Blackhawks used to be. You did that by trading Duncan Keith. You do that by moving on from Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tapes. Yeah. Right? Like, to me, 
Alex DeBrinkett is the guy that's going to lead you out of the rebuild. Yes. Not the guy that you're using to tear down even more when I'm sorry if Chicago re-signs Kane and Taves, they are giving up the, the chance to compete. Period. Yeah. Period. Like you, you don't rebuild. They will not win. Yeah. With with guys that are in their mid thirties, you just don't. Yeah, you, you do it with guys that are in their mid twenties. You don't rebuild with the guy you should be rebuilding around. Like you don't rebuild by mm-hmm. trading that guy away. Like the the, the, yeah. the it's it it would be mind blowingly stupid to see the Chicago Blackhawks do that. I mean, and and again, you know, there there's rumors out there. We don't know what what has been discussed if they're even serious offers, but. It, like I said, it would just be so stupid for you to trade the guy that you should be rebuilding your team around because you have a, a a crop of young players that you're going to hope develop into the future. Mm-hmm. But you have a guy that can help lead you into that future already on your roster. And you have that all-star player. And he's only 24. So mm-hmm. yeah. trading him it, away w- w- would just basically, it. I think it would stunt the growth of the franchise. Like I think you're trading away your star, your future star player, for what? I I don't understand it. You're not in a situation where the cap is an issue, and it shouldn't be an issue, especially after next year when both Kane and Taves mm-hmm. come off the books. That's another twenty two million dollars or twenty one million dollars yeah. that that's going to come off the books. So you're already twenty million under the cap as we speak today. As of next season, at this point, you're another twenty one million under the cap. You have all sorts of capability and flexibility to go out and sign players, re-sign players. It, 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 it's 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 a really complicated situation that I don't think needs to be complicated. I I have no understanding of why this would even be something that that's discussed. Yeah, unless you're getting the number one overall pick, and I don't think that this is the season to want to go in on that. I don't think it makes any sense for Chicago. It, it really would be nonsensical to move Alex to it, especially if you still have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves on your team. We're back with Play of the Day next on the VGK Insider Show. No chance to shoot for Stevenson centered. Eichel scores! It's time for the play of the day on the VGK Insider Show. It's not every day a defenseman scores a shorthanded goal, but that's exactly what Kale McCarr did. Our play of the day to make it six to nothing Colorado over the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Awkward play there. Darcy Kemper was looking behind him, and that puck literally. Was on the goal line, short-handed. Here comes Kale McCarr with Cogliano, two-on-one. McCarr shoots, he scores! Oh, hail, Kale! It's a short-handed goal, and it's six-nothing Colorado here in game two. Short-handed goal for Kale McCarr. He would add a power play goal later in the period. Two goals. In game number two for Kale McCarr, a lot of people talking about how quiet he had been to start the series. Probably not a good thing to poke the bear and get Kale McCarr going. Uh, I don't know about you, Chapman, but right now for me, Kale McCarr is firmly atop the Con Smythe leaderboard. If Colorado wins this one, Kale McCarr is going to take home that hardware. Yeah, I don't know how he couldn't be at least very close to the top. 
Uh, he, he's been phenomenal, right? Remember when he, he went like a game or two without scoring a goal? And we're like, oh, my gosh, where's Kale McCart? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there he is right mm-hmm. there scoring two special teams goals in the third period of, of that game. Uh, he He's so fun to watch. He's just phenomenal. I love watching him play. I mean, I can say that because I, I'm, I'm not a fan of any team in particular, so I understand how it could be uh, – Painful for fans of other teams, especially the Tampa Bay Lightning, to be watching him right now. But, man, he's just special. He's a special player. Kale McCarr, absolutely a special player, one of the best right now in the league. Hour number two is coming up next. We'll hear from Danny Webster with the Las Vegas Sun as we get into Golden Knights off-season priorities. All that's coming up next on the VGK Insider Show.